0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another spring training edition of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Just two weeks left before opening day. Getting closer, we're going to be talking about the starting rotation, what that looks like for the first couple of weeks as that has kind of come a lot clearer in the last 48, 72 hours. We're also going to start the show by kind of exploring who the leadoff guy should be. I think we know who it will be, but uh, there are certainly uh, options there. So we'll be getting uh, into that as well and perhaps a little bit of uh, WBC uh, at the very end. So with me tonight, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you?
1: I'm doing pretty well. Um, I was, yeah, happy to hear you say two weeks until opening day because I need some meaningful games that you know that aren't just the World Baseball Classic. I need meaningful Red Sox games because spring training is starting to wear on me. It's just two weeks of just afternoon meaningless games, and uh, I'm ready for them to count. So I'm excited. It, it should come up sooner, you know, pretty fast, but uh, I need it.
0: I typically, because I'm, I'm usually home at that part of the day around 1 p.m., and I'll, I'll watch the starter go, and that's typically all I'm interested in. What's Hauk looking like? What's Sale looking like? And so on and so forth. But that's all I'm really glued to. And with the WBC, I mean, it's a wonky lineup every day. You don't have Devers in there. You don't have Verdugo. Uh, I know there's a couple others that are probably not with us. Yoshida. So it's kind of a bummer that this is the first year we have him and it's just been such a limited look so far. But... um But yeah, so and as far as the season starts, I'm just anxious. Like my expectations aren't high, but I'm at the point where I just want to get it started, get it rolling and just deal with it. (laughs) And if we're if we're better, then so be it. And, you know, I'm sure the audience will, uh, you know, be a lot more locked in to our daily content uh as well. So, another reminder cuz I'm terrible at it, we do have uh a YouTube channel. We have put a lot more effort into that. Uh my co-host Nick and I are basically doing that uh exclusively. So, uh give uh that a look and it's not always the the same content either. We do try to mix it up. So, um just another uh, you know, lane of content uh, if you guys are looking for it. And it's all in video form, too, which is not something we do on these platforms. So, all right. So let's lead off with the leadoff question. Who do you like? Because there's a lot of debate. It's not black and white. It's not really clear. And I, I don't think it's necessarily the, the person who gets that spot is going to, essentially be the long-term person in that role, but they could be. But anyway, who, who do you like leading off?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm still good with the idea of it being Tristan Casas. Um, and I know that Cora is high on that. Um, you know, I remember when Yoshida was signed, a lot of people said that he was sort of the de facto choice, but he's proven to be a little bit more of a power kind of guy. And I'm, I'm not sure he's going to hit 25 to 30 home runs. But he's not this, you know, 10 home run, just take walks, get on base kind of guy. I think he's a little bit more dynamic than that. So, you know, Cora is high on Casas being there. And it's a weird spot for for a rookie, but he's the right kind of guy to put there because he is an on-base guy. And he is someone that likes to grind out at bats. He likes to make the pitcher work. He doesn't go up there first pitch hacking all the time. Um, and I think it also takes a little bit of pressure off of him. Because the way that that lineup is going to have to be structured, with the amount of left-handed bats that they have, you don't want Casas like having to hit fifth or even sixth because it, it just there's always going to be a spotlight on him. In a way, it's better to put him in a spot that suits his strengths. Put him in the leadoff spot. Let him work at bats. Let him get on base that way. And hopefully, if your lineup is really churning and it's and it's really working the way it's supposed to he's going to get some RBI opportunities too. If the bottom half of the order does what it's supposed to do, which I think it will, then he'll get his opportunities to go up there with runners on base and prove, you know, to be a, if he's a clutch guy or, you know, prove to be a run producer as well. So I think it's a good spot for him to start. I agree with what you said. I'm not sure that it'll be a permanent leadoff hitter. I think that things could change. And if Costas really takes off the way that a lot of people think he will, you don't keep your best hitter or one of your best hitters in the leadoff spot. You move him and you facilitate that so that he can best be a run producer somewhere else in the lineup. So he may not stay at number one uh, the whole season, but I think at least to start, especially with the expectations being so low to begin the season, it's a good spot to put a rookie like him who's going to have so many eyes on him. Every at-bat Red Sox fans are going to be just honed in on him and it's just a good opportunity for him to prove that, hey, you know, I'm much more than just this guy who's going to, everyone thinks I'm going to hit 30 to 35 home runs and be the next David Ortiz. That's not him. He's a different kind of hitter. He likes to get on base and he likes to do different things up there, likes to make pitchers work, like I said. So um, that's exactly who you want leading off. So I think it's a good spot to start. We'll see how long it lasts, but I'm in favor of it.
0: I don't hate... Casas leading off, I mean, he's got all the makings of a high on base guy. Uh, Even last year, he, he only hit 197, but his on base was 358, 161 points higher than his average, and he's got... Some of the best plate discipline, you know, we've seen even uh, there's veterans on this team that I wish had his plate discipline that he's already demonstrated. So I like that. He probably will get on base quite a bit. My one area of hesitancy is or two, actually, neither, neither one are particularly major, but number one, he's the slowest runner on the team. He just is. He's... His, I don't know what they call it that scale that Andrew loves to talk about, where it's twenty to eighty, you know where they rank, uh, where prospects rank. He was closer to twenty, if I'm not mistaken. Very very slow runner, which is interesting because Bobby Dahlbeck's so fast, and so perhaps it you know Casas has a little bit more of a rugged frame, but you're not going to see him legging out uh, a lot of doubles. I'm sure he'll hit some, but. Um, but th- there'll be times where a lot of other base runners on the team probably could have legged it out in certain situations and, and he's going to be held to a, uh, single, but if he gets on base, that that's the important thing. Um, the guy I like, and, and I'm not married to it, but, uh, I, I think it, it is a good fit, uh, is Alex Verdugo. He had a slow start last year, but from like late May for the rest of the season, he was hitting from everywhere. He spent a lot of time uh, in the in the five hole, but he was hitting up towards the top of the order at various points, especially when Kike uh, went down because he was essentially the de facto leadoff guy for uh, a little while there. And while Verdugo doesn't necessarily draw a ton of walks like you would like to see. He doesn't strike out a ton either. So I just feel like he would thrive in that role. And I think he's coming into 2023 with a chip on his shoulder. You know, he got a little bit of criticism there from uh, Alex Cora late last season. I think that was more with his uh, defensive uh, aspects. But um, he's expressed that he wouldn't mind signing an extension. There doesn't seem to be a ton of interest, at least at the moment from the Red Sox front office. Um, I'm not saying there should be, but um, you know, he he's been pretty solid, um, you know, the playing in the, in the corner outfield. So I, I just feel like I think Verdugo would embrace it. And uh, I think be, more than adequate in that spot. Um, another thing to question, are you married to Devers in the two hole or do you think he has to essentially be in the three hole due to righty lefty? Uh,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm not married to that at all. I, I think that he could be, you, you can move him around. I'm also not married to, you have to go righty lefty, righty lefty. Like I think that the Red Sox do have some left handers. I can hit, both righties and lefties like Devers can hit both. So I'm, I'm not worried about wherever he's going to go. I think Casas is trying to prove that he can hit both another, you know, good reason for him to be a leadoff guy. But um, yeah, I, I think Devers, you can move around and, you know, your points on Verdugo were, were, were good. I mean, he's, his strikeouts went down last year, so that, that was good to see. And yeah, he doesn't draw a ton of walks, but he can hit the ball anywhere to the, in, in, in any part of the field which really helps him. And he's a big doubles guy he Had 39 doubles last year. So, you know, that's going to help him too. I think either of those options would be good. Um, and it was funny. You mentioned costs his speed. The only guy who might be slower actually is Yoshida.
0: Is watching he slow?
1: Last, He's slow watching oh, wow. him. Um, not only in the spring, but the few clips I've seen of him in the WBC. Yeah. He's, he's for a smaller guy. He's kind of a plodding runner. Um, and maybe it's just cause that's, the way he likes to run, he just kind of coasts. Not not all guys, you know, really hustle. But, yeah, he might be slower than Casas, even. So, wow. Um, yeah, maybe another reason why Cora didn't love him as, as a leadoff guy. Just wants him to go up there and clear the bases if he can.
0: Well, there was an expectation all winter long that he was the leadoff guy. And it wasn't just, you know, within the Red Sox fan base. I was seeing stuff on MLB Network when they talked about our projected lineups most of them had Yoshida at the top. So I was just going with it. And I'm the biggest skeptic on our crew about him, and I'm going to be that way until he shuts me up and feeds me some crow. But Alex Cora said in recent days, and this is when it kind of got all walked back, that Yoshida himself said he's not a leadoff guy. He's never done it before, and he's more comfortable elsewhere in the lineup. So it just seemed like that was the the catalyst. And I don't remember if they said uh, during his press conference that the expectation was that he would lead off, but, but that's not going to happen at this point. It's off the table. I think that's why we went Casas and and Verdugo. And the other interesting thing here is I think Devers and Yoshida are going to be the two middle Lefties, so Devers is going to hit second or third, like we said. That puts Yoshida four or five. I mean, I think that's what it's going. So, so Verdugo is going to kind of bring up the rear as far as the lefties go, or or eventually Casas. I, I don't know, <laughs> but I, Devers is definitely going to be the second one to bat of all the lefties, and I, I think Yoshida shortly behind him. I I am kind of married to the lefty righty thing. Um, I just think really good bullpens are going to shut us down late if, you know, if we got two lefties back to back and we don't really have, I mean, if you want to pinch hit to break that up, I mean, if you do go, you know, for instance, Casas and Devers 1-2, who's the righty bat off the bench? Well, you wouldn't even pinch hit one of them anyway, I guess, but... If you did, it
1: would be Rough Snyder's your first right hander off the bench.
0: Yeah, it's just not good. And he's, you know, not the worst bench guy. I was actually kinda happy they brought him back, but he's not someone that anyone's gonna fear, <laughs> you know, whether it's a, you know, off speed finesse guy that's gonna be facing him or, you know, Garrett Cole. But um so it's just yeah. And Turner going down crushes us (laughs) i mean we got no righties you got arroyo who i like but i mean let's face it not another guy we're going to be afraid of um story is out once he comes back it, it clears it up some but um it's just really interesting to see how this is all gonna come together here um Yeah. Another thing, too, this is kind of unique to the Bloom era because in the Epstein era, you basically had Damon and Ellsbury. They were your automatic leadoff guys. There might have been one or two years of flux in there, um, you know, between Damon and and Ellsbury. And then um, with Dombrowski, it was basically Mookie the whole time. So he had his leadoff guy. And I mean, we're in the fourth year of, of bloom with a role that's always been solid and concrete that has still not been defined. So it's just, I don't know. It's just one of my many frustrations, I guess. Mm. Um, where does Kike fit?
1: Well, I, yeah, that's one thing I was thinking is if Casa starts to take off, you know, and, and, no longer seems prudent to have him leading off. I could see Kike sliding back into that spot. Um, He's done it before. And I know that, you know, I don't think he's the biggest fan of it. And I think his numbers may have dipped when he was in the leadoff spot, but that is an option. Again, he's a guy that does give you professional at-bats every time. You know, like the one guy, a couple of guys who absolutely can't go there, it's like you can't put Adam Duvall in the leadoff spot. That's just a three-pitch automatic out every single time. So – You certainly don't want that. Um, I don't think you can put either of your catchers in the leadoff spot. That's just kind of a weird thing to do, and I don't think either Alfaro or McGuire are suited for that. Um, You know, maybe Trevor Story when he comes back. Maybe that's a guy who, just to kind of get him back in the groove of things, you put him in the leadoff spot, but his plate discipline has never been good either. So Kike is an interesting one because I think you'll see him hitting like 7th or 8th in this lineup, but again, if Casas. Proves that he deserves to you know be in the middle of the order a little bit more. I could see them kind of messing around with like Kike leading off, maybe Casas hits second, and then Devers third or Turner third, Devers four. If you want to do something like that, but I think they want Devers earlier. So there's a lot of different um, you know machinations with the lineup that they could do. But at the end of the day, it is they're going to have to you know go back to back on some lefties. Because they they just have too many.
0: It's a huge problem. I kind of like Kike better. I'm kind of married to Devers in the three-hole. I mean, if it doesn't happen, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Maybe I will be wrong. Um, But uh, ideally for me, I I would put Kike second for now. Uh, Then Devers, then Turner, then probably Yoshida. And then... I guess Duvall sixth. I, I, don't, I don't like him. I like him more in the bottom third, but uh, but that just speaks to what you were just saying. We have too many lefties. And here's another thing. Rymel Tapia, everybody wants him to stay, but he's a lefty. He's a lefty. Reese McGuire is a lefty. I And I think at this point, he's won me over. I know he's not going to hit even 10 or 12 home runs, but he's a good hitter. He's just a good hitter. And I think I think Connor Wong could potentially hit 20 home runs. He's hit more than that uh, in various seasons in the minors. So a bona fide power guy, and he's not a very big guy either. He's like five ten, and I was expecting him to be shorter than that till I looked him up. For some reason, he just looks small up there. But. Um, we just got so many lefties. Mondesi most of the time is going to hit lefty. You know, against righties exclusively, will always hit, um, will always hit lefty. So it's just when does it end?
1: Well, and and keep in mind another guy that um, a lot of Red Sox fans are clamming for to get another chance is Jaron Duran, another left-handed hitter. So I mean, it it kind it might also pave the way for maybe Dalbuck does earn a spot because he's just a righty bat. I mean, he's had a horrible spring, but, you know, it, at the very least, it, it shakes it up and he can play first and third. And so, you know, maybe that that is a path for him, but I don't know. It's it, there are a lot of lefties. I like Tapia, too. I, I get that he's making a case and he's had a great spring, but, you know, I don't know. It's it just, it, again, a lot of lefties. And look, Tampa has done things like this in the past where they've said, you know what, we don't care about the righty-lefty matchup. You know, famously, Kevin Cash put out, you know, a whole lineup of lefties at one point. So, you know, sometimes it works. And if you have the right kind of hitters that, you know, they're not matchup problems, then that's fine. Um, I'm not convinced that everyone in this lineup is, you know, exactly the same against a right-hander that they are a left-hander. I think that there are some guys who have some weaknesses, so... Um, it's, it's a little tricky to figure out right now. And especially without, you know, presumably Turner, I I know that he says he's going to be ready for opening day, but we'll see after what happened there, Trevor story, you hope he's back by the timeline they say, but it's the Red Sox. So you can't trust anything they say when it comes to injuries. So without those guys, it's like, it's, you really become lefty heavy and you know, that, that could be a little bit of a concern, um, at least to start the year.
0: Not to spoil the party, but not that this is a huge thing for this year. But Emmanuel Valdez, also a lefty, <laughs> also a lefty, yeah, yeah. Would, would be one of the first ones up, I think, you know, if, if an injury happens. So, um, we've got you could have a one through nine, all lefties, I think, uh, if you needed to. Uh, the Rays did that, I think. on Brian Bayo's debut, they knew he struggled with lefties and cash put out all nine lefties, yep. which was uh, hilarious. Yeah. The, the other thing, too, about Kike is it's just kind of goofy to have him in the bottom third. I mean, he's a $10 million, you know, I, I was going to say center fielder, but he's going to be a shortstop this year. He was signed as a very important piece for this year. And, you know, not many bottom third of the order guys are making. Uh, you know 10 million or more unless they've just been a massive failure, you know like a Jason Hayward type uh, failure but it's just wow, it's just like where where are these pieces all gonna fit uh all right so uh let's uh let's move over to starting pitching here uh Corey Kluber officially announced today as the uh, opening day starter it was essentially, Obvious last week when they announced that Chris Sale would not be uh, the opening day starter. Do you think there might be a little bit of remorse in that? Because apparently Kluber knew as early as January that he was going to be the opening day starter. And Sale has looked far and away better than I expected him to look. I mean, commanding very well. I mean, Kluber has had one bad start so far where he just couldn't locate anything and has looked great otherwise. Tanner Houck, up and down. Uh, He pitches uh, for the listening audience. That will be today on Friday. Um, But Sale, just no blips. He had one minor league start last year, a rehab start, and he was destroying televisions. (laughs) So I just... Do you think in hindsight, maybe, maybe they probably should have put sale.
1: Um, potentially, but I also, th- I would like to think that they told Chris, if they told Corey Kluber that long ago, then I'm, I would like to think they told sale that long ago as well. And that sales just kind of, maybe he's using it as extra motivation. Say, okay, you know what? Maybe they don't consider me an ace anymore and I'm going to prove to them that I still can be. And look, who can blame him? I mean, the guy, you know, he's barely been on the mound the last two years. So, I don't blame him at all for saying, you know, you're not really the ace of this team anymore. Not that that's like this huge insult, but it's just the way it is. You know, we and and the opening day starter thing has always been, in my opinion, a little bit overrated because as the season goes on, no one's really going to remember who started opening day. Um, sometimes it is the team's ace just de facto gets that, you know, gets that start. Other times it's just matchup based or whatever or schedule based. So. I don't think that they're going to regret it. Um, you know, hopefully Kluber doesn't go out there on opening day and get his lips ripped off or anything, but given the way he's looked, I, I don't think that'll happen. I think he'll give him a good start, and if Kluber sale is kind of your one-two punch going forward, and obviously we'll see how the rest of the rotation fills out after that, but, you know, given the way those two guys have looked, that's not bad.
0: Yeah, and sale has been pretty humble you know, he's said um, not necessarily word for word, but he said he hasn't been the guy that they paid him to be. Um, you know, he hasn't met the expectations. We'll see. Um, I- I'm rooting for him. I-, I really am. I mean, we're stuck with him either way. But if that change up becomes a bit of a weapon, I, I think that's really what brings him back to being a top of the rotation guy is he gonna have what was it 300 did he strike out 300 people was that the benchmark in uh yeah. okay yeah so that those days are are gone but um you know he could be a 200 strikeout guy again and um y- you know be tough that that release point is key you know he has the same arm slot for every pitch and uh you know from there it's just locating it and um people have pointed out that he was a two pitch guy basically the last three, four years. So hopefully the, the new changeup, you know, gets featured a lot and, and he's just a a very dependable guy five times uh, through the order every fifth day. I mean, Uh, so let's talk about the rest of the rotation. So for the first couple of weeks, this is how uh, it's looking to shape up and, um, I, you know, I kind of mass lives. Chris Cotillo is always on top of everything and, uh, did a very good job today, uh, putting all of this, uh, into focus and, uh, with a lot of clarity. So Tanner Houck is expected to go, uh, in the third game against Baltimore with sale obviously being, uh, the second game. Um, so Houck gets your third spot. And I don't think that was clear (laughs) until today. I mean, you've got, it could have been Nick Pavetta, but, uh, Cutter Crawford, I guess, is looking to be the fourth guy, uh, as you know, the three others, Whitlock, Bale and Paxton are on the, uh, injured list. And then finally, Nick Pavetta will, um, will be the fifth starter. And this again, Is uh, is just for a couple of weeks. So it's kind of interesting, though, that Hauk is for the moment, the de facto number three for a guy who didn't have a defined role coming into camp. They told him they said, get stretched out because we might need you to be. But they didn't make any promises to him on what his role would be.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because he's had a little bit of a tumultuous relationship with the team, I think, over the last year. I mean, there's a the whole thing in, you know, with Toronto last season and um I think that, you know, pissed off the Red Sox a little bit and then he was a very inconsistent performer until they put him in the bullpen. Then he really shined. But I think he wasn't thrilled with that. I think he made it clear he wanted to be a starter because he wants to be paid like a starter when that day comes. And it was interesting to hear that too, because I don't think he's looked that good this spring. I mean, he's he's had a couple of flashes, but you know i think it was his last start where struck out 3 but then walked 4 and just couldn't get out of his own way and his control was all over the place and just looked like he was completely lost up there so for them to just say yeah you're the number 3 guy um pretty pretty interesting even over a guy like nick, nick pavetta who i know has really taken a step back the last year or so but that's a guy who has given you 30 plus starts ever since he's gotten here and he's a dependable veteran and The team's putting seemingly more faith in Tanner Houck than they are Nick Pavetta right now. Um, So I thought that was interesting, but I think Houck's role will change depending on the health of those three guys you mentioned, Paxton, Bayo, Whitlock. You know, if if Whitlock only has to miss one or two turns through the rotation to start the year, if he's just a 10 day IL guy and he's right back there, then I could see them, you know, looking at the first time through a gun Crawford looks good and Pavetta looks okay. They say to Hauk, back in the pen you go, because that's where you're best suited. So it may not it may not last. And, you know, hopefully he takes this and runs with it. And the rest of the spring, especially in his start today against Atlanta, that he looks really good. And he proves to them that, yep, I I'm ready. I'm ready to take that at number three starter role. But so far this spring we haven't seen it. So Hopefully it's a source of motivation for him because that's a guy who, you know, like you said, his role's been so undefined and now he has a chance to really solidify it if he wants it. So hopefully he takes it.
0: He's had three starts so far. His second one was very good. He had a lot of control through mostly strikes in that one. Uh, Starts number one and number three, not a ton of control. Lots of walks. Like you said, I think, uh, four walks in in both of those starts, um, so he's he has to figure it out, and I do feel like he eventually he is more of a starter. And last year it, it happened in the bullpen, but you know he he was struggling with his command a little bit, and then suddenly he locked in and was filthy and remained that way until he went on the injured list for the rest of the year with his back problem, which subsequently uh, required surgery. And I didn't, I, his last time out, I mean, he wasn't, he looked fine. So I was very surprised to see he was having uh, back issues. But I, I think compared to a guy like Pavetta, see when Nick Pavetta's out there, he's not just facing he's not just battling his opponents. He's battling himself in his own head. And I don't think, I don't think Hawk has that problem. I, I think it's just a, a matter of him figuring it out. And once he does, I think he's fine. Um, and, and with how it's, you know, it's commanding that third pitch uh, consistently. And, and that's going to be the key for him. I've said time and time again, I just I don't like Whitlock uh, as a starter. He just looks like he's very stressed when he's out there. He looks like he's on the verge of having a panic attack to me. I just don't like his body language. I don't like his demeanor. If he proves me wrong, great, uh, because he could certainly be a high end starter. But based on what I've seen so far, I've, for some reason I'm just a little bit more comfortable with Hauk. You know, in the rotation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've referred to Whitlock as found money ever since they got him because you got him in the Rule Five from the Yankees, and you know, looking, it's looked like an absolute steal so far. Now the hip injury was, you know, definitely uh, you know a a step back for him, but I don't know. I'm I'm kind of on the fence as to whether or not I want him to be a starter or I just want him to go back and and be the closer because he was so good in that role before the injury. Um, He proved he could do it. And, you know, the the ramping up to be a starter. I mean, part of the reason the Yankees gave up on him is because he had health problems. And, you know, it's obviously a hip injury is that's kind of a freak thing. It's not supposed to happen. But it's also a little concerning that a guy who's 26 years old is having hip problems. So um, we'll see. I I hope it works like you. I I hope he proves everyone wrong and ends up being, you know, ultimately upside wise, him or Bayo should be the number three guy you know, if if they really reach their ceiling. So that's what you hope for, is that those guys take a step forward and Whitlock especially stays healthy and takes that step forward. But I am a little bit skeptical because he hasn't been able to do it so far. So um, hopefully it's just a quick IL stint and he starts, you know, making starts in in mid-April and proving everybody wrong. But I will admit I am a little bit skeptical on Whitlock as a starter.
0: Yeah, he looked good uh, the other day in his first uh, appearance in game action. Uh, it was what just one or two innings. He had a strikeout in there, but uh, was commanding everything, and uh, it was um, it, it was a good uh, debut for him in spring training. So. Just real quick to go over the timelines here. Whitlock is expected to be back uh, of all the injured guys, the earliest uh, only at the most one or two um, turns through is what he will miss Bayo a little bit behind him. They're saying mid April. So that sounds to me like it could be three or four turns through and then Paxton who had a grade one hamstring strain on March 3rd, will not be ready uh, in April by the looks of it. So he's looking at May. Now, hamstrings are complicated, and I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, it's necessarily an easy thing to recover from, but grade one, that is the the you know the least serious of all the grades and and so that makes this a two-month setback for him that's and he he when he walked off the mound he looked fine I mean he was walking normally Uh, you know I I get that you know if it's not serious it's not always going to be obvious but it's just a minor injury for him is just always major is my thing like what's next is it going to be his shoulder he he messed up his lat last year that's what took him out it wasn't an elbow setback it it, he strained his lat muscle in his shoulder um it's just this guy is just not a healthy guy (laughs) it's frustrating no
1: yeah and he hasn't been for a while and i think they're just really handling him with kid gloves you know, I mean, uh, he, he probably wants to be on a mound sooner than May, but they're probably looking at him going, dude, <laughs> you've barely pitched in three years. And as soon as you did, you threw nine pitches and strained your hamstring. So, you know, we don't want you throwing 18 pitches and throwing your shoulder out. So I think they're just being very cautious with him. I have absolutely no idea what you're going to get out of Paxton this year. He is the one of the biggest question marks on this roster going into this season and I know a lot of people are high on him. I don't understand why a lot of people are, you know, like we're ecstatic that he was back. Um, I know the money isn't a ton, but if this, you know, if it's the same thing as last year where we're hearing, Oh, don't worry. He's, he's on his way back. And all of a sudden we, we look at the calendar and it's like July 1st and he's still down in the minors, supposedly making starts or, you know, hasn't got on the mound yet, then, we're going to be looking at it going, what are you doing? Like, what What was the point of this? This was a completely failed experiment that you then went back and said, no, let, let's try it again. And then it failed again. So he's a frustrating guy. I hope that we do see him in May, um, hopefully maybe even earlier. Um, but, you know, he's he's kind of a, an older guy who just the injuries are racking up now. And sometimes once that train gets rolling, it just doesn't stop. So... I hope that's not the case. I hope he's able to come back and be a productive, you know, back-end starter for this team. But who the hell knows?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's very capable, like I said, of having setbacks during his rehab and then just, just never ending. Um, and ironically, I, I did say my first reaction when he – Exercised his player option, uh, which was four million. Scott Boris is his agent and couldn't get him a better deal than four million, so that's why the player option had to be triggered. And I was a little frustrated, uh, you know, by that because my confidence in him has never been high. Being healthy, and he—he's another guy who, not to an extreme extent, but he's—he's he's prone to losing his mechanics every now and then. And during during that. He's prone to the long ball. You know, he gives up his home runs in bunches. So healthy is one thing, pitching extremely effectively is is a separate thing. And so when he exercised that player option, I said get ready to see a lot of Cutter Crawford and Josh Winkowski. And <laughs> who's in the rotation right now? Cutter Crawford. And he's looked good and he did have some good starts last year, but I just, my confidence is still pretty low in him. And and eventually it got bad to the point where they didn't bring him back, you know, after like mid August. Um, So, but here, here he is. So, all right. Uh, Let's, uh, let's get into the WBC. What's your, what's your big take on that?
1: Yeah, so that became kind of a hot topic on Twitter today, especially after the Edwin Diaz injury, which is just brutal uh, for him and, and for Mets fans. They just, boy, their luck just continues to be the same every single year, no matter what. Um, but there was there was a lot of debate between, like, you had, um, what's his name, Keith Olbermann basically tweeting out, just end, end the tournament. Get rid of the WBC. <laughs> it's stupid to begin with. Guys get hurt during it. Um, sent out a very aggressive tweet about it saying, you know, it's it's a stupid tournament, you know, and guys only playing it because their grandmothers got laid in a country, you know, a foreign country at one point. And he that's why they that? – yeah, he did. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you pull up the tweet, it's it's pretty aggressive. Um, so it's basically been like Keith Olbermann and uh, KFC from Barstool against like the Carabas's of the world who are like, The world baseball classics, the greatest tournaments, you know, in sports. I can't believe people are bashing this. You're stupid if you don't like it. Um, And my, my whole take on it is we were talking before we went on the air. It's like, I haven't really watched a ton of it. I'll be honest. I can't really get into it. Um, I'm not a big rah, rah team USA guy. So that's part of it. Like I don't root for the USA in international tournaments. It's just kind of a thing. They annoy me. Um, (laughs) And I I hate that the World Baseball Classic is like the old rules. So there's no pitch clock or anything like that. So the games take forever. I looked, I was going to watch it. I looked at the first round of games and it was like, you know, 11 o'clock at night on FS2. And it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to stay up till two, three o'clock in the morning to watch some guy from Nicaragua, you know, sit on the mound and scratch his nuts for 20 minutes before he throws a pitch. Like, I just, I can't get into it. I know I should. I've seen some clips. It looks entertaining. The crowds look like they're really into it. I just don't care that much. I, I care more about the MLB regular season. I care more about the Red Sox. So the WBC is just kind of a distraction to me. And I'm, I'll be honest, like, I'm glad that Devers is coming back. You know, I, I'm sad that his team got eliminated, but I'm glad that he'll be back with the Red Sox and, you know, can really focus on the regular season ahead of him. Um, it's just not for me, but I think the whole debate today just got so out of control on both sides. I mean, again, like, Oberman's tweet was real bad. If you look up KFC Barstool, he's been even worse. He's rooting for guys to get hurt now. He's basically saying, like, all these teams that are left, if if your team has a superstar on them, I hope they all tear their ACLs. Um, so they were on one extreme, and then you had Carabas basically saying, it's better than the world cup. It's better than the super bowl. It's better than the world series. And you're dumb if you don't like it, which is stupid too. So I just, I don't know. I, how often is the world baseball classic is every two years?
0: I think it's every third, if I'm not mistaken, every third, third or fourth, let's put it that way.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's luckily we won't have to worry about it again for a while, but it's just, I don't know. I'm I'm just kind of neutral to it. I really, I don't get all jazzed up about it. And, I'm kind of ready for it to just be over and for all these guys to get back and just get to the MLB regular season.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. Uh, Keith Olbermann's comments are interesting and he was basically the face of MSNBC. So the fact that he wants to cancel something just kind of fits that, uh, that side of the spectrum. Yeah. you know, and then for the guys that like Carabas, it's better than the Super Bowl. Obviously, that's an extreme. Uh, this is what I think. It, it sucks that Edwin Diaz blew out his knee. Uh, that sucks. And I don't even hate the Mets. I don't even hate the Mets. I think they're a fascinating team. And it's going to be interesting to see if, if Steve Cohen can buy a championship because it, that's hard. That's hard to do. You look at the Astros that are basically a mid-market team. You know, they do spend money here and there, but they're not a top five, six, or seven payroll. Um, neither are the Braves. And, you know, they've made some good runs here. Um, the Nationals, I'm guessing they were close to the top when they won it. Um, Red Sox were way over the top in 2018, but that's because we had a lot of dead money. Pedroya, Sandoval, um, I, I know there was one or two others on there. By that point, Hanley had actually been DFA'd, so he was dead money. Um, and so, it's not even the biggest markets that are, are winning these, uh, you know, titles necessarily. So, um, I, I like what Steve Cohen is doing though, because it's it's interesting. It makes you pay attention, and they're fascinating. And they just gave. Uh, Edwin Diaz, their closer, a five-year, $105 million deal. So he's going to miss um, at least the, the full 2023 season. I wouldn't be shocked if he's not ready to go right away in um, 2024. But it sucks. But that's a fluke. I, I think players can be a little bit smarter when they're celebrating. Um, and it's not worth canceling an entire concept. I would not do that. Um, As far as the exhibition game and whatnot, I mean, people will fight about anything. (laughs) It's just people will fight about literally anything. Ultimately, if they're filling up stadiums, that's a good thing. And I support that. That's good, uh, you know, for baseball. So... The, the format is confusing. I still don't fully understand it. I know they, they're all put into pools and then you advance out of your pools and now it's going to be bracket style, one and done. I can't tell. We were talking before we came on. I think Japan doesn't have a quarterfinal match, if if I understand it correctly. They get a bye to the semifinals. So I, I'm a little confused still. But um, it is what it is. And... As far as the Dominican Republic losing, listen to this lineup. I'll just go through their one through nine, starting at number one. Julio Rodriguez, Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Teoscar Hernandez, Rafi Devers, who is hitting in the five spot, by the way, Uh, Wander Franco, Jeremy Pena, Hamir Candelario, and then Gary Sanchez rounded it out, but. You've got five or six Hall of Famers in there, most likely. That's like that's insane. Like the Dominican Republic isn't a big island. I, I don't know what their population is. I'd be surprised if it's more than a million or two. And for them to be a hotbed to produce this level of talent, and this is where Pedro Martinez comes from. Brian Bayo, like there's there's pitchers as well, um, that that have emerged from there. David Ortiz from the Dominican Republic. It's just, it's amazing how they just crank out all this
1: talent. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's incredible that they, they got exited out of the tournament Exactly, they were, they were the favorite. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And team USA. I mean, that's who I'm rooting for. I, I get like, uh, y- you know, the audience knows where I stand. I'm not a big government guy <laughs> by any means. So I, I can certainly, um, sympathize with, w- with some people, but, um, But no one our best pitcher I think is Lance Lynn (laughs) like Clayton Kershaw was scheduled to um, be in there but I think he had some injury just something super minor but they didn't want to risk it with him and I get it but um, we just have no pitching and I think that's gonna potentially sink us here we already lost we got blown out by Team Mexico we just barely beat Colombia. I think we beat them by a run yesterday, uh, and then we blew out Canada, who uh, does not look like a good team either, uh, especially with the pitching. But, um, but yeah, so I just it doesn't look like we're built very well. And then we're gonna face Venezuela right away, and it's one and done from here out. I'm clear on that. You lose any games from here out, you're out of the tournament. And Venezuela hasn't lost at all. They're, you know, undefeated through it. So, um, so I just, for those really behind team USA, I, it just sounds like a long shot to me and Japan looks very good. Um, I don't think losing Diaz is like a massive blow to team Puerto Rico necessarily, but, um, but yeah, so It'll be uh, interesting to see how it plays out. I probably will catch as much as I can from here, and I think it's just one game per day uh, from here out, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not like you're trying to keep up with multiple things at once. So um, it could particularly be a little bit more enjoyable. But we'll see.
1: Hey, at least you don't have to root for Team Great Britain like I did because, <laughs> boy. Or do they stink?
0: <laughs> your your father uh, is from Britain, as you've stated. Yeah. Um, and the other thing about Team Britain that they <laughs> just people will not let go of is they have the ugliest uniforms. <sighs> They're just so plain in it. Like all the memes say, it looks like they typed out something on a computer with Arial Black, the most generic <laughs> font you could possibly pick. And then they slap that onto the jerseys. That's exactly what it looks like. And they don't even line up. When they're buttoned up, there's like awkward spaces, like in the middle of the word great, and then in the middle of the word Britain. It's just an ugly uniform. I And even Mexico wore one. The one they wore when they beat us, I thought was a nice looking uniform. But then they wore another one. Uh, I forget who they were playing either last night or the night before. Just that. I thought that one was ugly. And... I mean these teams because of the pandemic had 6 years to to come up with something cool and they <laughs> I just think they whiffed a little bit on on a on a massive stage. And there was one report I saw somewhere that that all of these games worldwide have crushed the World Series as far as audience. So that that's another reason why I'm supportive of it. I mean, if you're getting those numbers and you're you're selling out stadiums, I you know, I I think it's it's worth continuing, but, um, but yeah, so I just, the uniforms are just a big whiff on Britain's part.
1: Yeah, definitely not uh fashionistas, the British, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. And there's another guy, his name's Harry Ford. And I tweeted out, I'm like, wow, is that the most British sounding name ever? <laughs> it just yeah. sounds British. And, it turns out he he was born in America, but both of his parents were born uh, in Britain. So that's how he, he gets to be team Britain. And then in doing some research last night for fantasy baseball, I learned that he's actually the number one prospect in the Seattle Mariners system. So I thought that was interesting. And he's a, he's a catcher apparently. So yeah. All right. So I guess we will wrap on that. We'll, uh, probably be back on Sunday uh, per the usual. And uh, as the season gets ramped up here and uh, opening day um, commences, we'll be back to our normal four shows per week. So um, things are about to get pretty busy uh, with the bastards here. So be on the lookout for all of that. And everyone have a good rest of your week. Uh, today for the listening audience is St. Patty's day. So Many of you are going to be hung over on Saturday morning, but have a good weekend nonetheless. Take care.